Hey, before the show starts. Why are you pointing at me, Tim? Say something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Of course. It's my turn. If you happen to be one of those people who hates spoilers, just automatically assume any movie that you hear us mention or TV show. We will be spoiling, so beware. Bingo. So once you see those movies, you can come back and join in the fun. But really, why haven't you watched these yet? I mean, what are you doing with your life? Love you guys. Bye. Jeez, what a suck up. <laughs> This is Central Control Room. Stand by. Starting transmission, yeah? Yep, I think we're good. I can hear both of us. So, uh, we're going to discuss another topic tonight. Another movie-related topic. How original. What's the topic, D? So basically, we're going to be talking about movies that we either liked as a kid and now we've watched as an adult and don't like, or vice versa. Yeah, the other way around. Right. I think there's a what lot. What about movies that we hated as a kid and we hate as an adult? Should we talk about those <laughs> two? How long is this yeah. show? <laughs> right. I know. We're probably That's a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So then, um, what do you think, bub? About? I'll let you go first. How about you uh, rattle off a title? Okay, I will. And then afterwards, after I'm done, after the show's done, you listening out there can send in your responses. Let us know what you think on this topic. Have suggestions? Recommend them? We'll talk about them. Yeah. Well, I'll start off with one that I'm sure is on a lot of people's lists of that they just saw it once and hated, but I loved it as a kid, and that's Howard the Duck. (laughs) Right. If you got blasted millions of miles through space, ended up on another planet, and were given an IQ test by a janitor, you'd be a little pissed off too. You uh, loved that as a kid, huh? I loved it as I saw it in the theater. My my sister was forced to take me <laughs> because I was freaking out that this Muppet-like character was uh, was interacting with humans and it yeah. looked so real. And it was from that guy who did Star Wars. I mean, as a kid, I didn't realize that it's you know they say from the makers of Star Wars or the right. man who brought you Star Wars or whatever. George Lucas presents an electrifying new comedy, Howard the Duck. More adventure than humanly possible. I'm in love with Star Wars at that time. I'm a kid, so I'm just like, oh, this is going to be the next Star Wars. And there's aliens in it, and right. and there's Leah Thompson from Back to the Future, who yep. I was like hotty toddy for. I've never seen purple underwear before, Calvin. There's uh, Jeffrey Jones, the pedophile principal, named Ed Rooney. <laughs> I don't, you bird brain. I am not Jenning anymore. I am now one of the dark overlords of the universe. And there's uh, there's also a soundtrack by my favorite new wave artist, Thomas Dolby. <laughs> <laughs> 
Asylum. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. not forget it has uh, Tim Robbins. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he is right. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's a duck. We, we meet Howard the Duck at the beginning in his home planet, which is cleverly titled Duck World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and through a scientific snafu, he's grabbed by the Bifrost somehow. No, Thor is not involved in this, but he's grabbed by the Bifrost and zinged across the universe, and lands on planet Earth in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it once in the later '80s, once it hit cable, and I was kind of stoked to see it because, for the same reason, um, George Lucas and me being a Star Wars fanatic and all that stuff and the Thomas Dolby thing. But I was immediately disappointed right away. I was like, this is ridiculous. Oh, really? I just don't get it. Whatever, dude. It was top notch. It was and class. The special effects were not very good. And what? Like the, the monster at the end, you know, that comes through. I just remember thinking yeah. extremely <laughs> go motiony. <laughs> exactly. Very Ray Harryhausen when Ray, that was kind of an uh, obsolete right. yeah. <laughs> style. Well, of, I mean, that guy that did the stop motion, his name's Phil Tippett. He's a legend in the business. He did stuff like Starship Troopers, RoboCop, all of those really cool movies back then. Well, he did the stop motion for Jurassic Park, and it looked good. Like The movement looks good and everything like that, but the eyes look really dead. You can't really. Right. And so he looked at the computer guy, what the computer guys did, and basically said, uh, I, I need to get a new business. <laughs> yeah, I'm retiring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm out of work. Well, and I, I don't, yeah, if you've ever seen any of the footage of the raptors in the. Oh, Jurassic with, Park? From his perspective, the Phil Tippett perspective. It's... Well, yeah, with that, they used his models as movement references, so he was involved with that, and then he ended up swi- yeah, switching right. over to the digital realm. Do you think I might find happiness in the animal kingdom, Ducky? Like they say, Dal, love's strange. We could always give it a try. That was the grossest thing I've ever heard in my life. Let's go! So, yeah, that's a good one to start with, I think. Um, On my first choice is basically the one that made me think of this topic. And uh, that is the Stephen King movie Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive which is the first one I've directed. And uh, Emilio Estevez and uh, the Lisa Simpson. <laughs> I don't know her real name. <laughs> uh, Yardley, is it Yardley No one Smith? does. I think it's Yardley Smith. I, it? I doubt many people know, and if they don't, you said it best. It's Lisa Simpson. Uh, Maximum Overdrive, I thought, was rad. And I remember the opening scenes with, the, you know, you have that <laughs> the script that basically explains the comet or whatever, the Earth being in the comet's tail and uh, causing all the machines to come to life or some bullshit, and uh, <laughs> yeah, like all kinds of mayhem starts happening. And I remember thinking the kid getting run over by the lawnmower or whatever it was. I, the- I I think it was a steamroller. I think a kid gets run over by a steamroller in that scene. It was, but it's pretty yeah. fucking wow. brutal, whatever it was. And and I and. Yeah, and then there's like the little league coach is getting Pepsi shot at him by uh, 
a machine and it kills them. <laughs> yeah. Like it hits them right between the eyes with a Pepsi can or something. Right. Yeah. There was a lot of them in the movie. There was the one where the electric knife goes off on someone in the kitchen and Emilio steps in and has to beat it down. And then there's the other one where <laughs> the Gatlin gun uh, military truck is shooting the place up. It ends up shooting a few people in the restaurant and stuff. Yeah. Plus there was that weird little theme that plays. Especially when the goblin truck would show up, which I loved. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. That thing was rad. I mean, I'm a car kid, car guy. I always have been. I loved semi-trucks and all that stuff. And Yeah. Man. It, it was kind of like Stephen King looked at his work in Christine and said, what if this happened, but instead of one car, it's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. the thing. Well, here's the thing is Christine for me is a movie I still enjoy today, right? Yeah, me too. When I, I think the first or second time, I remember seeing Maximum Overdrive come on cable, like base, you know, extended cable, probably like AMC before it was what it was to what it is today, when it was the American movie channel. And right. uh, thinking, oh shit, there's Maximum Overdrive. I haven't seen this since I was a kid. And, I, and then I watch it and I'm like, oh my God. God, <laughs> this is a piece of garbage. <laughs> Whereas if you, if you go back in time when you're a kid, you're watching it and you get to the end and you go, oh my God, this is my favorite movie ever. <laughs> yeah, ACDC <laughs> is in the beginning and they do the whole soundtrack. Yeah, Yay. I thought, I thought that was pretty cool back then, but whatever. Who, right. made, who made who, you know? Yeah. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if John Favreau was a fan of this movie and then said, hey, I'll do that ACDC through all of Iron Man. Two. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Anyhow. What about Emilio Estevez? Were you into his tough guy shtick? Yeah, I totally bought him as a tough guy, too. I was like, yeah, look at Emilio Estevez. And then, uh, you know, again, I look at that as an adult. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) Jesus, he's like a a child <laughs> right yeah plus they're trying to give him that tough guy line at the end right before he shoots the goblin truck with the bazooka it's like listen buddy shut up you ain't Schwarzenegger right Adios, motherfucker. you're no Richard Dreyfus in Stakeout <laughs> you were the pussy that stayed behind while he did all the scary stuff. I'm supposed to be watching the house, right? So I was watching the house from the inside. Anyway. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. Uh, well, I'll probably go to a little bit of an earlier film with an unknown at the time. Who was playing a warrior? It was it was kind of that time where Conan had come out and was a big hit. So right. how about the Beastmaster? Oh man! Who are you? I'm Dar. I'm no threat to you. Who sent you? I wasn't sent. My village Emer was destroyed by the Jun Horde. I've sworn revenge. I was in love uh, 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 of with the Beastmaster movies. <laughs> right. Yeah, I were movie. I was too. I, do you remember that weapon he had that was like the two blades that turned into like a boomerang yeah, kind of Yeah, kind of split open. It was very Krull-like, and I think they were kind of like, they, like you were just saying, they were taking from Conan and they were taking from Krull. They were kind of grasping at all of these Dark Ages movies that were popular in the early 80s and just kind of 
use them for themselves or right. use it for itself. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, cobbling them all together so they could say, if you like Conan or Kroll, you'll love this. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Mark Singer was the was the Beastmaster himself. And oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I love the guy because he, he did this movie also, uh, If You Could See What I Hear, which yeah, was kind of a, loved it. an adaptation of a biography about a blind man and all that stuff. And I remember watching that as a kid and thinking it was great. I did too, yeah. And yep. uh, uh, I have a feeling if I watch that as an adult, it's probably a piece of crap too. But right. um, yeah, I, I remember watching it as a kid and thinking, is that Mark Hamill from Star Wars and Corvette Summer? I'm a hooker for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah. You know, Mark Singer, he, what else? he was in that was really popular too was the V miniseries. Z, the most extraordinary miniseries ever. A daring TV journalist struggling to uncover the startling truth behind the alien's visit to Earth. Back to the Beastmaster, he could speak with animals and so he made friends with a black tiger. That that died because they painted it. They used like literal fucking paint. Yeah, right. And it it died of like some kind of contamination or something like that. Yeah, makes sense. Which is why 15 years later, no, how many years later was it? It it was nine. Nine years later. They actually did a sequel. Beastmaster 2 where he goes through a portal and comes to modern times. It's absolutely right. horrible, but the tiger, for what you know, for obvious reasons, is bangled. <laughs> right. <Yeah. You> know, <laughs> it's an unpainted version. Right. Yeah. They were like, we well, don't know what you're talking about. It was always a bangled tiger. Never ever would have painted it. Ever. Right. 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 Nope. Not gonna do it. So the, one of the things I remember about Beastmaster was his sidekick guy, the black dude. Yeah. And I can't remember his name, but I, yeah. he was he played the McDowell's guy in Coming to America. Yeah. His name is John Amos. He was also in. Good times, he was the father. Yeah, that's right. He was the dad in good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are you, friend? And where do you come from? I'm called Seth. This is Tao. We are pilgrims on our way to worship at the Temple of R. But yeah, I, I loved Beastmaster. Do you remember the little, they were like weird creature witch people? Yeah. That would, once you killed them, their wardrobe would like fall to the ground as if they were Jedi or something? Right. Yeah, I remember loving that. Right. I remember they had that ring with the eyeball in it that the bad guys could watch from their little village or whatever they lived in. They kind of had this aztec feel with this place where there was like a pyramid with uh, with almost like sacrifice on it wasn't yeah there? yeah yeah that's where the last scene takes place with the villain rip torn your unborn son has returned to fulfill the prophecy is it really it's rip torn <laughs> no fucking way yeah that's him oh my god <laughs> i think that had to have been the first time that i ever saw rip torn in the movie before so then of course years later i see him in something else and i'm like oh my god is that the bad guy from Beastmaster? Beastmaster? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would have never put that together. I'm just like his face is reminiscent, but oh jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're we're, having... we're mentioning a lot of sex offenders on this show. Yeah, right. It's a <laughs> moment of discovery for all of us. Yeah. I defy this false prophecy. Okay, so here's one that strikes close to home for me. Quite literally. <laughs> because it was filmed in my, at the time, hometown of Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Starring another son of uh, Martin Sheen, uh, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Charlie was in a movie called The Wraith. Hey! Yeah. Who is that guy? 
I don't know. But whoever he was, he's weird and pissed off. I remember when this movie came out, it was all the rage in my freshman year of high school, I think. Because it was... You mean out of the theaters? Uh, yeah, well, it was in and out of the theaters pretty quick, but I remember watching it on VHS and... and uh, so did you actually live there at the time they were filming? Like, I know you didn't visit the set or anything, right. but you were living there at the time? Yeah. Okay. I moved there in 85, and, and I think that movie was in the... It was in 86. So it was, okay, so that's probably why... Yeah, maybe it was... It was probably in theaters in, in junior, when I was in junior high, and then by my freshman year, it had hit VHS, and that's when it kind of became known yeah yeah right the high school is tucson high which i didn't go to tucson high i went to sabino but a lot of the places there i you know basically i know i know by visual sight and all that stuff and it's pretty cool right. the movie's absolutely terrible and stupid and uh <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes no sense and there's this oh, crazy collection of wacky characters and and of course clint howard is just like amped up through the whole thing and screaming the whole time he plays the mechanic. Jamie Hankins was here the other night with a shotgun. Yeah. It, I mean, it should come as no surprise that Randy Quaid brings the dramatic presence he does. to this piece. Yeah. Yes. Right. The, he, he had the same effect on uh, Brokeback Mountain because he played a similar character. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sheriff of a small the town. The sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> The, the hateful sheriff that's not right. accepting of other lifestyles. Either kids or homosexuals. Yeah. Oh, cousin Eddie. That thing had nine lives. She just spent them all. <laughs> Woo! So if you pay attention to this movie, one of the cool things about it is our big star, Charlie Sheen, is um, I think he's in about 20 minutes of this movie. <laughs> right. Maybe even less. <laughs> yeah, right. And it turns out it's because he had, what's the expression? Bigger fish to fry? Right, yeah. He was shooting Platoon in the same time period and all that stuff, which is obviously a higher priority for him. And, <laughs> right. and, and you, you, you can tell by how emotionally not checked in he is to the Wraith. <laughs> right. That, you know, because he's, he's actually not super checked in into Platoon either because he's not the greatest actor in the world. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. He seems a little more emotionally invested in the movie Lucas than he does in this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So that's kind of of an interesting little tidbit but he you know there's not a lot of and then you know like the uh whatever it is the i can't remember what they called it but the the guy in the suit that was driving the ghostly interceptor car that's not charlie sheen in the suit with the helmet on right it's just some other dude you know <laughs> it's jan michael vincent <laughs> yeah right hey rick who who is Jan Michael Vincent? Oh, man. I'm trying to remember, Morty. But anyway, that was a real piece of work. I mean, uh, my favorite characters were the Gutter Boy and, and Skank. I, I tried to warn you, Skank. I said, do we have to drive so fast and use a gun? I can't shoot no gun. Shut up, Gutter Boy! The banter between the two of them is quite poetic. <laughs> right. It's priceless. Yeah. Right, yeah. And uh, I have this really bad <laughs> habit of thinking I know who an actor is and like t naming him and it, I'm totally being wrong. So the young brother, Charlie Sheen, plays the, the resurrected ghost character of a guy who was killed by these bad guys. And he left his right. younger brother behind. And, and the guy who plays his younger brother, for whatever fucking reason, I thought 
was a really young Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> and you were quick to correct me on that when I brought that up, and I was extremely embarrassed and humiliated. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure Mark Ruffalo would have taken this job if he would have been offered it. I mean, who wouldn't, really? It's a masterpiece. Jake! Jake! Doesn't hold up. That's impossible. Even though I enjoyed it as a, as a young adult, as as a, in my teen years, and maybe it had something to do with uh, with the association. Yeah, you live in there for sure. That, that's pretty cool. Well, growing up a Star Wars kid, I would seek out anything space-related. And in 1984, The Last Starfighter came out. And I was like, are you kidding me? They're taking video games and combining it with a space adventure? (laughs) This is the best thing ever. Can you tell me the name of the person who broke the record on that game over there? Where I might find him? Alex Rogan. You're looking at him. Alex Rogan. Uh Ha-ha-ha. Who are you? Centauri's the name. I invented Starfighter, which is why I'm here. It is? It is. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. I didn't like that movie from the beginning. Right. Because of the CG. It was the original CG movie. And uh, you could tell if the spaceship looked like a video game. It did not look real. And then... Hey, everything can't be the lawnmower man, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> you have a valid point. This universe is mine. I am God here. You have a valid point. No, not in, and not every movie can star Jeff Fahey. But, yeah, unfortunately. But this one had the music man in it. And I just thought he was really weirdly casted. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I, and oh I'm like, God. why is this guy in outer space? <laughs> should be trying to shove band practice in Gary, uh, Indiana or something. <laughs> oh my god, I never ever realized that was who that was. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> well, I couldn't I couldn't not think of that. And then he dies at the end, I think. No, no. Me die and miss all the excitement? Oh no. I was merely dormant while my body repaired itself. No, I won't bore you with the details. But no, I rewatched it again, probably around anywhere from 16 to 19 years old. And I remember looking at it then thinking, I still dig the space stuff about it, the retro effects and stuff. I dig on that stuff, but the plot's a little meh and the characters are a little either whiny or annoying in the movie. But it's that thing where they're cobbling together a bunch of different kind of ideas. Ideas, yeah. yeah. And and they're trying to make something solid out of it. And it just, to me, it doesn't work. Death is a primitive concept. I prefer to think of them as battling evil in another dimension. In another dimension? How many are left? Including yourself? Yeah! One! Well, and that kind of leads me to mine, uh, another one of mine, which would be 
uh, Disney's attempt <laughs> at, at uh, capturing the magic of Star Wars. Uh, Before they had the money to purchase Star Wars. And I fell for it, was the black hole. The explorer ship USS Palomino was speeding home toward Earth. Her weary crew had spent many months in space, searching for planets where humans could live. Although their mission was over, their greatest adventure was about to begin. Starring, uh, there was all kinds of stars in that. That had uh, Anthony Perkins of Psycho fame. It had Maximilian Schnell as the bad guy. The right moment to go into the black hole is now. Robert Forrester is in it. Activate the sensors, Charlie. You bet. And uh, Ernest Borgnine. Oh, my God. Reinhardt had the knack of making his own ambition seem like a matter of national pride. Slim Pickens plays one of the droids. Slim Pickens? Who was smoking crack at Disney? No. No, I can't make it. My hover stabilization's gone, my main circuit's blown, and both backups are failing. Roddy McDowell, I believe, plays the other droid, Vincent. Vincent's my name, sharpshooting's my game. Try me. I've never seen this film. Oh, okay. Well, it was riding on the coattails of Star Wars, and kind of in the way that Star Trek The Motion Picture did, too. And it, it was just, you know, when I was a kid, I thought it was the coolest thing. And Maximilian Schnell's character was basically this lone renegade dude who was trying to get this giant ship to be able to go through a black hole and see what's on the other side. And he had basically turned the crew into all of these zombie robots that just worked for him. There were the ones that controlled the buttons, and then there were the basic stormtrooper wannabe type. There were warriors. And then there was the one bad guy who was supposed to be the Darth Vader, essentially. But And I can't remember his name, but he was cool looking. He, he, he levitated. And he had like a big red <laughs> eye with it. And uh, I remember he killed Anthony Perkins pretty good. <laughs> and then Ernest Borgnine kind of flips out on him and says, I don't trust this shit. I'm out of here. And he tries to <laughs> get out on the escape pod and ends up crashing it into the ship. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, it was pretty weird. It's yeah. a pretty weird movie. And Sounds it. I even had the black hole coloring book. <laughs> well, of course. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. And I think a couple of the toy figures, too, the Vincent droid. You loved it, too, because it was Star Warsy, huh? Well, it's not, though, because <laughs> oh. it's not really that action-packed, and uh, it, there's no real heroes thing. There's, it almost ends It ends in a very 2001 The Space Odyssey kind of way. Like psychedelic? Where, yeah, it gets really kind of, they go through the black hole and Who? the survivors do and it gets really kind of trippy and weird for a minute. And They survive and come out on the other side. Wow. Good going, Disney. That's great for kids. Robert Forrester didn't need hair plugs yet, so... That's the most trippiest part of all. Yeah. I should probably take a look at that movie. But I won't. There are three basic types, Mr. Pizer. The wills, the won'ts, and the can'ts. The wills accomplish everything, the won'ts oppose everything, and the can'ts won't try anything. Well, I'm going to flip the script here real quick, and I'm going to go the opposite way. And I'm going to talk about a movie that I hated when I was a kid because it wasn't Indiana Jones in the future... And that's Blade Runner. She doesn't know. 
She's beginning to suspect, I think. Suspect? How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. Rachel is an experiment, nothing more. So let me set this up for you. I'm at my local Blockbuster. Blockbuster video! Walking the aisles, I see this older movie with my hero Harrison Ford in it, and on the back it says he is a bounty hunter in the future hunting androids. Right. A joygasm later, I'm at the counter getting this movie. I have to see this. Right. So I get it home, throw it in the VCR, and await the amazing action-packed adventure that's sure to follow. 30 minutes later. Replicants weren't supposed to have feelings. Neither were Blade Runners. What the hell was happening to me? When the fuck is something going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, not really understanding film noir outside of Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid from huh, Steve Martin. Right. would give me a chance to tell her I was starting to feel something for her, too. Something warm and squishy. <laughs> I kept wondering. I was like... Who is talking? I'm trying to watch the movie. Shut up. Right. Yeah, and that was my only, re- you know, but I didn't really associate the two together. One was a future film noir and one right. was a parody of film noir. But um Right. Yeah. Well, I I remember being like, "Ooh, he's about to go Oh, wait, no, he's just going to talk to that guy, I guess." The charmer's name was Gaff. I'd seen him around. Brian must have upped him to the Blade Runner unit. That gibberish he talked was city speak gutter talk what is going on and then you grew up to love it i'm sure yeah. right yeah well i mean years later it had that director's cut that compromised director's cut that ridley scott released and i remember it still having that stigma when i yeah. looked at it like ew gross that movie was boring and wasn't action-packed but a friend i think rented it and i ended up watching it and just being pulled into the story and loving it well and i think the biggest thing that comes with maturity and and adults perspective is empathy for the replicants you don't really and rutger hauer at the end when he's kind of like i want to live kind of thing all those moments will be lost in time like tears Right, and it has so much meaning, and it's beautiful. You, know, you don't really, that kind of shit. You're like, when are they going to shoot the bad guy? When you're a little kid, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, yeah. That's that's exactly how I was because I'm looking at that and I'm going, why isn't he being Indiana Jones? Why did he just let this bad guy break his finger and give him back his gun? Right, exactly. Right, yeah. I just didn't get it. Again, it's a it's a big classic. Uh... I mean, of course, I love the movie now. I think it's beautifully realized by Ridley Scott. I mean, but I was a kid then. I just wasn't seeing it on its terms. I was the one that was wrong, not the film. Film is remarkably beautiful. But uh, no, I'm I'm right with you on that. I agree. I can say the same. I didn't appreciate it until I was older. Yeah, you can as a kid. You just yep. can't. And uh, you know. It was, <laughs> Sean Young playing a robot is perfect for her wooden ability, <laughs> of a, <laughs> a wooden acting abilities. <laughs> right, yeah. Of course. I'm Rachel. Deckard. It seems you feel our work is not a benefit to the public. I got no strings to hold me down, to make me fret or make me frown. I hit strings, but now I'm free. Throwing it back at me, I'm going to switch it around as well. And I'm going to say uh, 
the good, the bad, the ugly. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. You dig. Masterpiece! Which, uh, when I was a kid, that was just kind of this... I didn't really see the attraction with the Western thing, and... Right. I thought it was long and drawn out, because it is long. What is it? Yeah, like, it's over... It's, it's three hours. It's three hours long. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. And the... Um, I just didn't quite get it. But then I probably did sit through the whole thing because it, I just didn't have the patience. But then seeing it as an adult again, I was like, wow, this is, I'm transfixed. I can't not watch. <laughs> There's so right. much great camera work in it. And, uh, yeah, Leone is like a god. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he just, that music is so badass. times perfect with the camera action that movie is one of the miracles of movies in my opinion because it's a wonderful director and really fun performances and the music is outstanding and it's well written and cinematography is awesome and there's a lot of great lines everybody has great lines in that movie everybody does yeah Yeah. perfect you may run the risks my friend but i do the cutting we cut down my percentage I will interfere with my aim. But when I'm paid, I always see the job through. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. By the time I saw that movie, I was probably 13, 14, yeah. somewhere in that area. And I remember I was already a fan of the, for some reason, I don't even know why I would be at that age, but I was a real big fan of the Dirty Harry movies. So I knew Clint Eastwood through that stuff. And, of course, uh, Every Which Way But Loose. Every which way but loose. Right turn, line. That was the only thing I knew him from, was Any Which Way But Loose. I never watched the Dirty Harry movie. Oh, really? God, I love those films. Even as a kid, I love those films. What I'm saying is that man had rights. Well, I'm all broken up about that man's rights. Yeah, well, I mean, like many things that I saw as a kid like this, I saw it on regular TV, which, I mean, like NBC, ABC, one of those things, and I believe it was even split into two nights. That was a kind of a common practice back then. They did that with Superman and stuff like that, made a big event out of it. Yeah. But as a kid, I cannot tell you why. I was just, for some reason, completely just drawn into that movie. Yeah, right. No, I don't know, man. It was just uh, too slow for me the first time around. And right. It takes an adult to appreciate the nuance of good cinematography and good music and all that, and good direction. For sure, yeah. Hey, boy! You know what you are! Just a dirty son of a Hey there, folks. We just wanted to let you know in case you wanted to reach out and have any questions for us or even wanted to answer some of the questions that we've posed to each other during the show. 
You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at at TFTFP Podcast. Yes. Sometimes you might want to use Twitter instead. Yes. And, it, and if that's the case, mm-hmm. you go to uh, the address there. It's a little different. It's podcast TFTFP. Hey, if you want to send us a shiny old email, you can do that at TFTFP podcast at gmail.com. That is beyond the truth, my friend. Mm. Yeah, there's the truth, and then you can go beyond it. That's what we just did. <laughs> we went beyond the truth. So let's say you're looking for a little more content from us. Let's say mm. you have an interest, and you're willing to put down a little bit, a tiny bit of jack for it. Yes, yes. We have a Patreon page. We sure do. And the link for that page will be down below there. In the description. Right. Or you can just use your lazy little fingers there to type it into Google. Yeah, that's a good idea. Whatever you want. Yeah. And do us all a favor and like, subscribe, and review us because it helps us out. I hated Mad Max when I first saw it. Really? You don't want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad... He gets even. American International presents Mad Max, the maximum force of the future. You're talking all of them, or you mean the original Mad Max? Yeah, yeah, the original. I I could not wrap my head around what I hated most about it. It was just slow moving. He didn't really do a whole lot. A lot of the action scenes don't take place with him, and it's about this gang, and he takes his family off. I was just like, what is going on? And I saw The Road Warrior before I saw this one, and I loved The Road Warrior. Right. Did you realize it was the same thing? I had to have. I'm sure I rented it on the basis because I loved Road Warrior so much. And I knew his name was, you know, Max in it. That this, this was another one of those. Yeah. And I loved Mel Gibson at the time. I loved that freaking car, you know. Right. 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 But I mean, you know, he does his revenge thing at the end, and I think I remember digging that, but. I loved the Road Warrior so much, and then seeing this, and it was such a right. big letdown. I yeah, it wasn't released that way, I, I don't think. I, I believe the Road Warrior, the, that's why it's called the Road Warrior here in America. It's right. not called that in Australia. But Mad Max 2 was released here first as the Road Warrior, and then because it did so well, they, re- they dubbed Mad Max because it was so hard to understand. And, sit and released it here as Mad Max. And I think it probably confused a lot of people. I oh, think. yeah. It had to have. Because, I mean, right now, it's commonplace. You walk up to a six, seven-year-old kid and you ask them what a prequel is, they'll probably tell you in, like, under a second. But back then, no one knew what the hell a prequel was. They were like, Yeah, what? exactly. But it wasn't that, though. It was filmed before. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying the way I, I saw it, it, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, I got yeah. you. Yeah. But, I mean, I, now I love the first Mad Max. I love that scene at the end when he has the guy handcuffed near the car yeah. that's leaking gas and he has the flame near it he throws right. it in the saw <laughs> the chain in those handcuffs is high tensile steel it'll take you 10 minutes to hack through it with this now if you're lucky you could hack through your ankle in five minutes go yeah, I know. And then the way the guy's eyes kind of bug out right before he, his motorcycle hits the front of that truck. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> that Remember, that freaked me out. I am gravely disappointed 
Again, you have made me unleash my jokes of old. I liked Pet Cemetery when it first came out oh. when I was in high school, and it was a real popular horror movie. Everybody thought it was great. Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond the Pet Cemetery ain't human at all. And I remember right. going to a party with friends and, and uh, drinking beers and watching it and all that stuff. Right, right. You know, when the little kid cuts Fred Gwynn's Achilles tendon with that scalpel and then he slits his mouth, mm-hmm. and I was like, Jesus Christ, that's brutal. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Where did you As cool as that stuff is... <laughs> One, right. I couldn't disassociate the wife from Star Trek The Next Generation. She was uh, <laughs> that Yar character lady, you know? Nope, I didn't watch that show. So, uh, yeah, uh, so the short-haired blonde, and she's also she was also in The Walking Dead for like a minute. <laughs> oh, okay. In The Terminus. She was the one cooking the burgers. Well, here's the important question, Tim. Have you rewatched Pet Cemetery? My, maybe five, six, seven years ago, thinking, oh, yeah, I've got to revisit this guy. And really just not good. Not good at all. <laughs> you know, Fred yeah. Gwain is way, you know, as much as he's good in some of his stuff, you know, Herman Munster's Herman Munster, right? He's great. <laughs> right. Okay. But no more jokes. And the judge and my cousin Vinny is awesome. Did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. But... In this, he's right. just so over the top, you know, from Maine accent. It's like, <laughs> let's dumb it down a bit. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, get him fixed, why, you? Fixed cat don't tend to wander. He's all the time crossing back and forth on that road. His luck will run out. Yeah, I remember seeing it back in 89.90 whenever it was new to pay-per-view. That's how I saw it. Welcome to Viewer's Choice. Your selection is about to begin. But first, take a look at what else you can see this week. And... I read Stephen King novels back then, and most of the time, Stephen King novels were better than the movies that were made. Yeah. Well, except for ones that were directed by Stanley Kubrick. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what, you know, everybody knows that. Right. Hi, Lloyd. A little slow tonight, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But I remember sitting there and watching it, and it just being awful. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it was oh, and man. I've never I've never tried to watch it again cuz it was so bad. You wouldn't be trying to go down that road, would ya? That road leads to a dark and mysterious land where people go missing and no one ever hears from them again. If I were you, I wouldn't go down that road. Well, here's one that's pretty big on the love list for a lot of people my age and I loved it as a kid but when I rewatched it I could not find one thing that I liked about it and that's Monster Squad I just don't know what I was thinking as a kid Honestly. Yeah. 
I've never seen it. Is that the one with little, uh, uh, what's his name? The Wonder Years kid? Oh, no. That's Little Monsters, and I've never seen that. I don't think that's on anyone's love list. Oh. No, this one was, it was out in 87, and Goonies was out in 85, so you could tell that they were like, ooh, that's popular, let's mix it with these Universal monsters. So it had to have been Universal because it was Dracula and the Mummy and Frankenstein uh-huh. and even the creature from the Black Lagoon. All of them were in it, Wolfman. And it was the kids have to help save the world from Dracula or something like that. It was written by Shane Black who went on to do like Lethal Weapon and Last Boy Scout and Nice Guys and Iron Man 3 and all of these things. Right. But yeah, it was the Goonies meet the Universal Monsters is what they you they were had to have been going for there. And from what I remember even reading Shane Black his his script, his original script was a lot darker, but they had of course changed it to make it kid friendly and the fun adventure and all that fun stuff. Okay. But, and it was one of the first things I'd ever written. And it wasn't just that it wasn't a hit, it was a huge failure. No one saw it. I don't know how on earth it caught on years later. But I loved it as a kid. And I remember, because I loved all of the Universal Monsters, and then I don't know what happened. You yeah. know, I, Maybe as an adult, I just can't stand the cutesy stuff. Right. I just can't stand it. <laughs> yeah. Can somebody tell me what the Sam Hill is going on around here? Well, we can't, sir. Well, who are you? We're the Monster Squad. I tell you what, Tim, I'm going to hit up Mr. Stallone (laughs) next, because I used to love Rambo 2. Oh, really? Look. I'm coming to get you. I loved it. I thought it was awesome, full of great action, and he had those explosive arrows. I thought that was so freaking cool. (laughs) So back in 2008, the... uh, last Rambo movie came out. Before that came right. out, I re-watched all of the other ones. The first one still holds up. I think it's good. It's a little machismo here and there, but it's good. But the second one I rewatched, and I loved it when I was a kid, as I stated, and it was just a big hunk of poop-poop. Mission accomplished. I never actually seen, uh, have seen really any of those Rambo movies. I was never into them. Okay. I don't even know if I've seen First Blood. I might have seen half of it. but um. Well, I, I will say I think one of the reasons I loved it as a kid, it was a part of that whole 80s amped up action stuff, like in Commando and all that stuff. I got to see the hero from the first one who was fighting the guy I liked from that movie Effects, Brian Dennehy. And in this one, it explores a little bit more of that relationship with Colonel Troutman, uh, who I only knew as the bad guy from uh, Summer Rental with John Candy. (laughs) Hey, 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 hey! Don't serve those. What what are you doing? These are my lobsters. Your lobsters? Yeah. You got my table, but you're not getting my lobsters. Okay, and this is your table? (laughs) My 
people. So seeing it through more adult eyes, you can kind of pull away from the glamour of the action 80s hero and you start to see the problems with the script and the over-dramatized action and all of this stuff. The dramatic music pauses before he shoots the arrow and kills people or whatever he's shooting and killing people with. And that is one of the things that start to pull you out of those things is because it becomes so amped up and made fun of eventually in movies like Hot Shots or Hot Shots Part 2, I think it was. Oh. I want... What they want. And every other guy who came over here has spilt his guts and gave everything he had once for our country to love us as much as we love it. That's what I want. But on the same vein... I will tell you about a Rambo ripoff that I loved as a kid. Oh boy, I can't wait. I watched the hell out of this movie. And it's another one, I have not watched it as an adult, but I guarantee you that it is a (laughs) giant hunk of shit. It's a movie called Ruckus. Oh dear lord. With the great Dirk Benedict. Oh. Of the A-Team fame. Yeah, Yeah, he played Face Man on the A-Team. Anyway, so this start, he's like a lone or Vietnam vet who's like super dirty, just kind of morally (laughs) hitchhiking through this small town. uh, And the small town (laughs) has basically got a gang of tough rednecks who don't take kindly to him, you know, which is kind of contradictory (laughs) to the way things work. But And he ends up falling in with uh, Linda Blair, <laughs> who actually <laughs> lost her husband. Oh, man, I was hotsy-totsy for her as a kid. Linda Blair, if anybody doesn't know, that's the, she was the little girl in The Exorcist, but she's grown up in this movie. What an excellent day for an exorcism. This movie, I think, is like 85 or 86, right? And her husband has essentially died in Vietnam, so that's her connection to this guy, to this Dirk Benedict ruckus guy, and oh, okay. and so she, they kind of have this weird connection. And he eventually starts talking to her, and they kind of start to fall in love in a way. How oh, sweet! And then they have the most ridiculous love scenes. Some people say Rad has the most ridiculous love scene <laughs> with the dancing bicycles. But I, I challenge the rad dancing bicycle love scene with <laughs> the ruckus jumping through the air dancing motorcycle motocross scene uh, where they're basically, it's basically like this slow-mo, they're both on dirt bikes and they're jumping across <laughs> from each other with big smiles and laughing and really fucking weird yeah (laughs) you don't know man jeez yeah yeah it's super funny where they're basically it's like if they could be having kind of like in Mission Impossible 2 if they could be having sex on motorcycles maybe that's where John (laughs) Woo got the idea because this was he stole it yeah he stole it from from uh, from Ruckus (laughs) (laughs) 
that movie's no good. I don't even have to even try to watch that again. Yeah. Well, I never saw it, so. Let's hack our way on over to horror movies again. And I was about eight or nine the first time I ever saw, not the second one, but the first Evil Dead, and I hated it. Oh, yeah. Tatra a mistrobin hazarta. Tatir mando manzizon hazansopa. Samanda. Well, because it plays it straight. Yeah, I, I never saw it until after Army of Darkness. I saw Army of Darkness first, so. Oh really? Yeah. So I saw Evil Dead one on TV cable or something like that, and then I saw Evil Dead two in the theaters when it came out around I guess eighty seven, probably end of eighty yeah, seven, something, like, something that. like that. You're a goody little two shoes. You're a goody little two shoes. Goody little two shoes. I saw it in the theaters. Have no idea why or how I ended up. Probably my sister again, <laughs> and I loved it. I remember loving it. Oh yeah. Well, how can you not? Groovy. I mean, I remember it being, it's like that first one I didn't like, except this one is freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, well, and the TV show is just as good, man. Oh, God, yeah. Captures the spirit yep. of the other films. Oh, man, love it. That is horrible and also awesome. Which is everything that I do. But Evil Dead, the original, when I saw it, I, I just didn't like it. I, of course, re-watched it and, and have more appreciation for it now, but I see why Sam Raimi went back and kind of remade it in a way with Evil Dead 2 to put his fingerprints and his style on it more. Hey, I swallow your soul! I swallow your soul! I swallow your soul! <laughs> swallow this. Okay, here's another one. We're going back to Ernest Borgnine. Oh, and I know yeah. you can join me with this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this one's... When I was a young kid, man, I couldn't watch this movie enough. And it was... Uh, me too. Really weird, really obscure, and I hope a lot of you recognize it, but it was a movie called Super Fuzz. Cue the music. It's about a guy, a cop, Ernest Borgnine in this weird actor whose lines are dubbed. <laughs> yeah, I, his name, I guess, is Terrence Hill. He's I, at one time was one of the highest paid Italian actors ever. But yeah, his, it's really bad, badly dubbed. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't understand him if you didn't dub his lines. But n nobody else's lines are dubbed. Just his, as, as far as I remember. Right. Yeah. He's a cop, and something weird happens where he's in a he's, He's in an, uh, like an atomic explosion or neutron bomb or some shit. He, and, and it... I, I, I think he's on a call. Sergeant Dunlop had ordered me to go to Creektown to collect a fine for a parking ticket. The village was in the middle of a swamp, but I was hell-bent on carrying out my mission no matter what. And so while he's at this area, he's trying to complete this task, and he doesn't realize the area he's in has been evacuated due to NASA launching some rocket test thing. What would have happened to the population of Popoke if the citizens hadn't been evacuated in time? 
Well, probably nothing, but the explosion of red plutonium will bombard the area with a barrage of harmless red omega rays, which will have the effect of fluoroscoping whatever lies underground. So when he gets back to the robo he came to this swampy area in, he sees an alligator in there, and so he pulls his gun to try to shoot it, but can't do it. So he lifts his gun up, shoots it in the air, and hits the missile that they're testing. Uh, that's the right. Air. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is they 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 use that famous H bomb footage, where they yeah. where they shot the H bomb off in the ocean, and there's a bunch of like right. old battleships or whatever that they're waiting to see what's going to happen to them. Right. Yeah. But they use it upside down, so if you look right. close, you can see the ships are upside upside down in the sky <laughs> as the mushroom cloud is is shooting downward instead of out <laughs> upward it was, and it, and the screen they read the screen out right so right. yeah the, and and then he gets hit by the whatever it is the afterwave of that and it gives him superpowers that was the minute i realized that something something incredible had happened to me so right. he, he's now uh, this cop with superpowers and... Um, well, his only weakness... The plutonic explosion caused a blinding red light that gave me these superpowers. But that same color red also takes them away whenever I see it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the, the hilarity ensues, you know, with, uh, <laughs> you know, like he's running super fast after a car. And then right. these guys are painting the wall red for a sign or something, and then all of a sudden, you know, he hits the wall or something. I don't fucking remember. I must have watched that movie like 30, 40 times. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah, me too, for sure. And, and it had everything that I responded to as a kid. I mean, it had superheroes <laughs> and a cop movie. So yeah. come on. So that was a great one. And I guarantee you that's a an enormous pile of crap. <laughs> I think you're forgetting a, the it, power of Ernest Borgnine's yeah, acting. Yeah, anything with him, right? Dave, I'm coming down. You got to get me, baby. You got to get me. Airwolf. Top-notch TV right there. It was all downhill after the Marnie. Marty. Oscar. <laughs> that he won in, like, what was that, 1962 or something? <laughs> yeah. 1903. <laughs> yeah. Before helicopters even existed. <laughs> That's why he saw the explosive potential of that TV series. Yeah. Airwolf wasn't even a wink in his eye. Well, I'll tell you something, Tim. For my next pick, I'm going to go with a passionate choice. And it's a choice that affected me as a kid at my core. Now, we've talked about Star Wars before. And I'm a Star Wars kid. Not as big of a Star Wars kid as you. Yep. But I am a Star Wars kid. But my love, my passion, like Star Wars was to you, yes. was Superman. Right. Uh-oh. The very first Superman that I saw in the theaters was Superman 3 with Richard Pryor. And I <laughs> loved it. You did. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Oh, no. How you doing there, Gus? Please don't talk to me. I'm having enough trouble just hanging on. Okay, we'll go slow. Oh. You're perfectly safe. Oh. Uh, watch the trees. Oh. That's a shame. 
Yeah, it is, and I am ashamed of myself, Tim. So thanks. I don't think I ever. Which is the one where he goes evil? Well, I hope you don't expect me to save you, because I don't do that anymore. <laughs> don't worry, I'm long past saving. That's it. That's that one. Maybe I did see. Is that the one where he makes the makes the ring for Lana? Yeah, that's the same one. Yep. He felt really badly about you having to pawn your diamond ring. And well, he found he found this one just lying around, and he he wanted you to have this. Okay, so I did see that one. Yep. I guess it's the next one with John Cryer I never saw. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Quest for Peace. But, yeah, Superman 3 is one that, one of my first movies I remember seeing in the theater. Uh-huh. And I had to have been four or five, somewhere in that neighborhood, but it made such an impression on me. I loved everything about it. I watched it incessantly when it hit video or was on cable, one or the other. Yeah. But... I remember loving all of the stupid stuff, like Richard Pryor's drunk act with the guy when he's trying to hack into the computer. <laughs> yeah. Sling! Singapore sling! What's wrong with it? There's not a vodka in it. There's no vodka in it! Huh. Yeah, what did I tell you? Here, put some vodka in it. What do you, you, you know? Hey. And come on, Superman getting some weird kryptonite esque rock and it turns him evil and uh-huh. he ends up doing bad things like going to the leaning tower of Pisa and straightening it out and then flipping off this little vendor that's selling ceramic leaning tower of Pisa's. He straightens it out and then flips him off and the little Italian guy selling the ceramics gets mad and curses <laughs> him out. Yeah. Right, right. Just crazy weird stuff in that movie. And I loved every bit of it when I was a kid. It was yeah. Superman, and I was a Superman kid. That's my favorite hero of all time. It it was one of the first comic books I ever got. I remember my mom had these, each birthday party when I was younger, had these themed birthday parties, and I had a Superman cake and all of that. And it was like that probably for like three, four years straight. I loved Superman. That was my thing, man. Then he saw what really caused the trouble, right? He flew into the tornado, went down to the bottom of the tornado and turned it upside down. He made the little end on top and then get on the bottom. It's gonna go crazy. Now, of course, as I've gotten older and returned to these things that I love, all of them, nostalgic love that I have for Superman, I still love Superman 1 and Superman 2, the Donner cut and the uncut version. I still love that one, even though there's a lot of dumb, goofy stuff in that. Yeah. I feel like there's heart in it. And in Superman 3, there's elements that I like about it, but it's really hard to watch with all of them kind of cramming Richard Pryor into this movie. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're afraid that Superman can't sell these movies. Even though we had two hit movies, we're we're going to put Richard Pryor in this movie. And that was – it's one of those things that is – aside from a lot of the other dumb stuff in it, that's the glaring – issue with this movie is that it's just it's out of place completely gotcha now we all know that last week half of this great nation of ours almost bit the bullet if it wasn't for this man here and all i can say is thank the lord for superman
Let's go deep. Let's go deep, Derek. That's just dirty. Why does this happen? Why do we like things when we're young and then not, and vice versa? Yeah. With a lot of these, I feel like nostalgia is a big piece of the puzzle here because, I mean, you go back and you look at some of the ones we've talked about. It's like Superman, Monster Squad. Both of those things ring really nostalgic to me, uh, especially Superman. I mean, I grew up on that. That was my favorite hero. So no matter what they do and throw at you as a kid, you look at it as an adult and say, wow, that was really badly done or piece of crap same with monster squad it has all of these famous universal monster characters in it and so you look at it and you don't care about all of the bad stuff you just see your heroes yeah you know what i mean that's no i know but i mean you can take a movie such as episode four of star wars and kind of apply that same theory to it because it isn't a perfectly written (laughs) script right yeah and these you know for some people the special effects do age and all that stuff and there's a hundred percent all nostalgia for it and people still hold it up as this golden chalice of perfection right yeah well i think a big part of that is that george lucas when he wrote that he was putting in all of this stuff that he had passion for from from early stages as a kid all the way up through his teenage years and then into his adulthood and that movie kind of reflects that he's not writing down to an audience right he's he's writing it for a broad audience he's writing for himself because he's putting in all of these things that he loved as a kid like the space adventures and all of that but he's also throwing in the, his passion stuff when as an adult. Right. All of the World War II research he did and the race cars right. and all of that stuff becomes a big amalgamation and put into this, this script. And he delivers it, and a lot of people see it on a broad spectrum. And if you don't like it as a kid, you'll grow into it. And that's how— I think that's, that's a pretty valid point because you think about a Michael Bay Transformers movie. <laughs> oh, God. And he's basically <laughs> writing down to the lowest common denominator or directing down i should say oh for sure yeah it's a piece of crap script they're making fart jokes and uh it's just like over the top action and all spectacle and no substance right yeah exactly which is all of his films you right know? <laughs> it's a seven-year-old directing all of his films which, right, right. Yeah, that's all it is <laughs> a high on cocaine <laughs> well okay yeah i think that's valid too and and, and of course i'm gonna throw in as you age, you mature, your tastes refine, you know, just like when you're a kid, beer tastes bitter, but then you get older and you enjoy the different varieties of beer, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and so you can see nuance, you can see lack of nuance, you can, see, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, when something lacks a depth to it, which most of these movies do, you know, when yeah. you revisit them, they just they don't have the staying power that they had and like I I think I said earlier uh, something about when you're a kid you're seeing things for the first time so there's no yeah backlog of information uh, yeah so yeah Yeah. right and then you know there's that that's kind of my theory on on, on the whole thing right yeah and that's I mean that's the perfect uh, formula for what we were talking about earlier as why you see Blade Runner when you're a kid and you're just like this is boring yeah yeah Right, and there really is a lot of depth to that movie, and both yeah. visually, audibly, and 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 in the script. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I think we've covered this topic pretty good for today. What do you think? Oh, I feel good about it. I feel good. Yeah, it's kind of like I 
just did a couple of uh, downward facing dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Some sun salutations. Yes, yes. Now you're going to go off and have a white wine spritzer and just relax all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe take my French bulldog for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> go to an oxygen bar and chill. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we'd like to hear from you people, what, uh, you know, any kind of titles that captivated your heart as a child and then you grew up to just you know have complete disdain for it right or, or the opposite and then we'd love to hear from you yes so until next time keep tuning in for those transmissions we do appreciate you tuning in and go ahead and hit that in transmission button i got it here's the big finger the middle one <laughs> don't you give me that finger you <laughs> all right man